don't know how my beard looks. My granddaughter was playing with it a while ago. She was twisting it around as I was holding her. Only a, a grandma, grandpa would let his granddaughter do that. And everybody see me? I'm going to get where I can see Sister Virginia. So I can see. <laughs> Hallelujah. Good to see Kelly here with us tonight. He doesn't always make it. She's working at the VA and then helping his parents in Louisville and his wife has her position and job over in Clarksville. He's all over the map, but uh, we're always glad when he's here with us. So anyway, this is part four of Ecclesia, a vision for church. And God has a vision for church. It's not an institution in his case. It's a living, breathing organism. And so we had us a time on Sunday. Sister Virginia told me that was the shortest sermon she ever heard me preach. Uh, and I did a wedding at the end, and we were done by 20 to 12. I don't want anybody getting used to that now. Of course, we had dinner here at the church, so we were done eating by like 1 o'clock. It was surely a miracle. But then we went home and had a good time of fellowship watching a basketball game. The only thing is, it didn't turn out the way I wanted it to. John liked it and Sean liked it. <laughs> they come over there and insulted me by rooting for the Boston Celtics. I was rooting for the Miami Heat. You know, they're your team when you're with them through the thick and the thin. And I remember when they weren't very good. <laughs> and so I rooted for them even then. <laughs> I took our kids down there to the American Airlines Arena and took them to a ball game. I guess Chelsea went one time with me. Uh, she was very small. And she liked to stay with Mama a lot. So, but... My kids got to go to a professional ball game when they were little, little bitty. But anyway, we're talking about the church, and God's got a vision. Proverbs 29 and 18 says, Where there is no revelation, the people cast off restraint. Now the old King James says, Where there is no vision, people perish. That's a little more dramatic in the way it sounds but they're both accurate. And that is that when people don't have a purpose, a vision, or a focus for their lives, they end up going down the wrong roads. And most of the time, it doesn't end up very pretty. They end up in a ditch, or end up in a bad marriage, or end up in a terrible uh, work situation. But when you have a purpose and a vision for the things of God, He helps lead you along on the paths of righteousness. Amen? Anyway, let's, the statement I want to give you tonight is believers mature under the headship of the Lord. You know, He's got to be the head, and we are His followers. I like what Garland Bilbo always had to say. He preached it like this. He said, the anointing, when it dripped down Aaron's beard all the way down to the ground, he said it came on the leadership, down to the fellowship, down to the fellowship. And so the fellowship being those who are being trained and the fellowship being those who just attend. But that anointing comes from the Lord down to the leaders, down to the ones who are training and those who are just coming. And young preachers sometimes get upset when people don't seemingly get involved. They come to church, but they don't get involved in doing much beyond the church service. And I'll never forget Robbie Mitchell, Tracy's husband, preached for me under the tent after Hurricane Andrew. And he made a statement one day. He said, appreciate those who come and they give their tithes and their offerings because they are doing something to help you to maintain and go forward. So don't ever put people down for coming. 
you do want them to come and it's good when they give and it's good when they back you up not everybody is going to train to be a pastor or a teacher or children's church leader or youth leader or music uh, leader worship leader but everybody can come and be with each other in a corporate sense and so the church is important as we gather together but it's important that we mature in the word of god under the headship of the lord jesus christ and then comes the fellowship and the fellowship leadership fellowship and fellowship thereafter but the first point I want to make is the Bible doesn't say to get saved so that you can go to heaven. The Bible says that we should get saved to go towards maturity. That's what it teaches. How many want to go to heaven? Wave at me or say amen. amen. Yeah, it's good to want to go to heaven one day. But that isn't the, real, the only reason you get saved so you can go to heaven. I would like for everybody that I know to go to heaven. I don't want them to miss out. I don't want them to make the wrong choice and end up in a devil's hell because hell is not a good place. It is a violent, horrible, dastardly place to end up. You know, it's not just going to be 120 degrees or something. Try about four or 5,000 degrees Fahrenheit and where your flesh melts off your bones. You know, try to where your eye sockets melt out of your skull. I don't want to make anybody sick by those impressions tonight. But I mean to tell you, hell is not a place anybody wants to be because it doesn't just happen one time and it's over. It doesn't just kill you. It happens over and over and over and over again for eternity because they would not accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. It's free. It's a... It is a gift of God, salvation. What you got to do is believe in Him and confess Him as Lord. And if you do that, then He'll keep working with you until you grow up into the man and woman of God you're supposed to be. Not everybody has the same giftings, but everybody has something to offer. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 3, it says there, but I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ. The head of woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. Now, God being the Father. There's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, the three in one. Christ is the position of anointing, that He is Lord, He gave His life, he paid the price. He was given the crown. He is the Lord God Almighty who was, is, and is to come. He is the Savior of the universe. He is the one we have to believe in. He is the head of His church. He's the head of mankind. And mankind is the head over woman, women. And so, uh, and it's not for you to have more than one woman. I don't believe in that, you know. They have it on TV sometimes. The certain uh, belief system believes they can have seven sister wives. First of all, I don't know how on earth they could afford a family that big. <laughs> but secondly, you know, the Bible says they're supposed to be husband of one wife. You know, and uh, if something ever happened in your situation, well, you can't keep the old one and a new one. You You know... Uh, if people divorce then and God gives you the opportunity to do things in a better way and he blesses you with somebody that loves God like you do, then you can have another wife or husband. According to the scriptures, if there was infidelity or there was other things that happened that separated you, uh, but the reality is you know, God made man and woman to be together to fit like two hands together. Their giftings and their functionings uh, work together. Now, you know, you'd think, boy, a pastor needs a good wife. I remember my brother telling me the story of the superintendent 
of the Assembly of Gods in Arkansas. I called him. My brother was looking for a possible pastoral position. And he called this brother who was one of his college roommates' father, and I won't say the name, but you know who I'm talking about, uh, Joe's dad. But anyway, uh, he uh, called him. He said, well, Jerry, I know of a church up in, and it was a small town in north, East Arkansas or Northwest Arkansas, somewhere. Anyway, it was not a big town. It wasn't a big church. He says, I know uh, they'd probably take you, Jerry, as pastor, but they're also looking for uh, a pastor that his wife can play the piano. That's very important. They weren't looking for a pastor that could lead the church and grow it into a real thriving uh, ministry. They were looking for a pastor that had a good wife that could play the piano. Well, I'll tell you what, if that had been me, uh, we had been out of it. We, we'd have been out of the running. My wife does not play the piano, but she does play the radio real well. And I play the radio real well. Now, it's skipped a generation, hit Zach. Both our mothers play the piano very well, but we would have been out also. Now, my sister-in-law can play the guitar a little bit, maybe the piano a little bit, but it wasn't going to happen. You know, so he did not take that church. But those people had a mentality that they didn't want a pastor unless his wife could really play that piano. Anyhow, lo and behold, is that maturity? <laughs> I think not. 1 Corinthians 11.3, though, told us, 11.3, it told us that Christ is the head of man. Man is the head of woman. He is to protect and provide for his wife and his family and take care of it. And so, But he has to be under Christ. If not, it will not work. It won't come out good. And I've seen a lot of divorce in this day and age because the man wasn't following Christ and the wife had nobody to follow. And so... That didn't work out well. But Christ is under the Father. He always said things like, Well, I, I was, what were you doing all night, Jesus? Well, I was praying and talking with the Father. And he would say, uh, What I do is what I see my Father doing. You know, so Jesus had a tight relationship with his Father. And then he has a relationship with the men of God. And yet, it doesn't mean a man's not ahead uh, of his wife and she was a pastor. My dad and Pastor Ken's dad were both saved under a female pastor. I know Sister Bond was one of them and Sister Perry was another. I actually preached for Sister Perry. She was up in years and I was a young whippersnapper in my 20s and I preached for her over in Canal Lou, Missouri. Anybody ever hear of Canal Lou? It's over there not far from Morehouse, back in those farmlands. And I preached over there at Canal Lou. She used to pastor Bird's Corner at one time, and she pastored uh, Morehouse Assembly of God. But she could preach. And, but her husband helped, and he was the man of the house. He took care of things so that she could do her gifting. So, you know, the giftings of God are up to God who he distributes them to and how they function. But uh, some denominations don't believe that women should preach. Tell those who got healed in a Catherine Kuhlman crusade, you know, uh, or Amy Simple McPherson years ago when she had such raging revivals that it started the four-square denomination and churches. It's amazing what God can do. How about Joyce Myers? I started listening to her on the radio in 1985. And you know what? 86, right around there. She sounded like a chain-smoking truck driver on the radio when she first was on there. Because she did. I mean, she used to have Bible study in her garage with the garage door up, and they would smoke cigarettes, and they would discuss the scriptures. And then God... You know, Uncle Bob always told us, he said, you don't clean the fish before you catch them. And sure enough, God cleaned Joyce Myers up, and now she's got a ministry that goes far and wide on so many TV stations and radio stations 
In fact, she used to come on right before me at one point when I was on KOKS. It was Joyce Myers, me, and then Charles Stanley. Everybody thought I was a big-time minister. Well, I had a decent church down in Florida, but uh, I wasn't quite big like those people were. But Joyce Myers has a great minister. And so God gifts us. It's all right. He is the head through Christ over us. And so the second thing I want to say is nominal Christianity is merely a maintenance plan or program. You know, it's just maintaining, making sure that we're okay, we're going to go to heaven one day. But Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and the Father, they have a plan. And they're interested in us not just getting by so that we make it to heaven one day. Uh, the sense of purpose for every believer is to obtain your full potential. How many know that's true? Man, I tell you, you listen to any of, of uh, uh, John Osteen's son, what's his name? Joel. You listen to Joel Osteen on TV or the radio, nine times out of ten, he's talking about people's purpose and potential and what God can do with you. I say, that's right down my alley. I believe the same thing. I believe that people need to get a hold of their purpose so that they can reach their potential one day. And, but a lot of times in the church, people are paralyzed due to a lack of vision. They don't have a vision for anything. Do you all have a vision for something in your life? I tell you what, I can talk to Tim, and he's got a vision for a piece of property one day somewhere out in the country where he can have him a shop and I don't know how many lawnmowers he wants in there. Maybe he needs to put a tractor in there one day. Brother Sherman, you'd tell him he needs a John Deere, wouldn't you? But he's got a vision for that. you know. And if he keeps that vision before him, I don't know how long it will take him, but one day, potentially, that could happen. We all have to have a vision. And I see on Facebook, John, they, you had your first moving experience or coming up. First clients for a move. He's got another one signed up for the end of June. And so he's got this vision for a business. And it's called Grateful Moving, isn't it? Yeah. It's because he's grateful to God for changing his life. And so uh, that kind of catches people's attention. Why would you call that Grateful Moving? Or, you know, a lot of people would put G-R-E-A-T, great moving. Yeah, that might catch their attention, but that's not what his heart was. He has a vision for a purpose of a business to help people move. Well, you know what you do in the natural is also what God wants people to usually do in the supernatural. So you get to moving people in the natural well, guess what? One day you might be moving people in the spiritual, maybe out of the devil's way into God's light, out of darkness into the marvelous light. But you see, whatever your function, it leads you towards what God has for you. And in Luke chapter 15, verse 11 through 14, we see a little story right there. You got your mic ready, Pastor Kim? I might get you to help me here. But this is a story, I'll just tell you, that it has to do with the prodigal son. Go ahead and read those verses. Then Jesus said, a certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Give me the, a portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. And, but when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. In other words, he was up a creek without a paddle. And he ended up, if you go on and read that whole story, in a pig pen, Danielle, eating the pods that the farmers were throwing into the hogs. And he was grateful to get some of those pieces of whatever to try to eat and he came to himself cookie i mean he was sitting there in the pig pen all dirty and smelling like you know what 
How many know pigs don't smell too good? They might taste pretty good if you like bacon in the morning, and they smell pretty good in the skillet, but they're not too great when they're in the pig pen. And so the prodigal son had taken his inheritance, which, by the way, there was two sons, and uh, by the tradition of the Middle East and so on, they would give the oldest two parts of the inheritance. If there had been, uh, say, nine kids to get an inheritance, he would have got two parts and everybody else would have got one. But since there's only two of them, the oldest son got two-thirds of the inheritance and he got one-third. Well, he took his in money and he went out and spent it in frivolous living. And it came to himself that he had spent everything he had and he had nothing to count on from that point forward. And so believers have an inheritance because of birthright positioning. One day if I end up with some money, more than normally, of course, I think my wife, she might just live a while. My mama lived to be 90, and my wife's mother is still alive at 98. And my wife's four years younger than me. So I kind of, if I took a guess, I think my wife just might outlive me if, uh, if the Jesus doesn't return. I'm kind of hoping that he comes back before I die. I would like it to be that way instead of me having to be in a casket one day, everybody passing by and saying, oh, he was a nice guy. Yeah, we really liked Kevin. He was a good old boy. Yeah. No, I would rather be standing up when the end comes and then jump and go into rocket mode. Rocket man. You know, We all will just rocket out of here with Jesus the Christ at the rapture of the church. I think that'd be awesome, don't you? But anyway, but because of positioning, this boy had an inheritance. When he asked for it, his father didn't have to give it. He didn't have to give it until he died. I don't know why his daddy did that, but he let him do it. He let him take it and just spend it any old way he wanted. And lo and behold, he spent it all and he ended up in the ditch with the pig in the pig pen. And he decided if he came back, maybe he could just be a servant. You know, he never did get any more inheritance, but his father gave him a ring and a robe, and he let him come and eat at the family's table and probably work on the farm. But the farm belonged to the older son. He left everything else to him because he was faithful. There's a story right there. You can still get salvation. One day you'll go to heaven, but it's the faithful and obedient ones that get the rest of the inheritance, that get the rewards of serving God. And so believers have an inheritance because of their birthright positioning, but most are not mature enough to handle or operate in it. Now we have an inheritance of gifts of the Holy Ghost and such. You know, Brother Gorman told about his son Mark going out to preach for the first time, his first revival. He was 19 years old, I think. And he called him the first night, and Brother Gorman was just waiting to hear, and Mark was crying on the phone. He said, Daddy, he said, nobody got saved tonight. Nobody came to the altar I, was, I just was a flub. And Brother Gorman raised his hands. He said, oh, okay, son, I'll be praying for you when he got off the phone. He raised his hands, began to cry, and praise God that Mark had been a disaster that first night. You see, Marvin Gorman had an outstanding ministry and was well known all around the world. And his son, if he just rode on his coattails, and had a great revival because he was Marvin Gorman's son, it probably wouldn't have been well for him. And so God, he, Marvin thanked God that Mark didn't do so great because he learned a lesson. You still 
you got to have your own ministry. You got to pray. You got to study. You got to preach with the anointing. And you got to be led of the Spirit. So it wasn't no free ride just because he was Marvin Gorman's son. And the same thing for any spiritual sons that came out of his ministry. I learned a lot. You know why? Because I would grab a hold of his coattail and I would take a hold of that anointing that he had and let it impart into my life. And it took a while. It took years of serving. But that's what it is all about. you got to serve somebody. Bob Dylan sang a song like that. you got to serve somebody. You might serve the devil or you might serve the Lord, but you got to serve somebody. That was the song in its essence. And it's true. You've got to serve somebody. You don't just arrive, you know. What I think about different ones like Elvis Presley, who went to Assembly of God Church in Memphis, Tennessee, went to youth camp, was called into the ministry, and yet he didn't go into the ministry. He went into rock and roll music. And he died at like, I think, 42 years old in 1977, in August. I don't remember the exact day, somewhere around the 5th or 6th or 7th, somewhere around there. But I'll never forget it because I was at Teen Challenge visiting Robin Deason, who worked for my, my brother, who was director of Teen Challenge in Graham, North Carolina. And I was over at the Teen Challenge Center, and the, Robin had the TV on in his living quarters, and there on the news, Elvis Presley has died. And I mean to tell you, it's like a president of the United States died. There's much coverage, and they covered the funeral and everything, like a, a political person that was well known, because Elvis was famous. But he wasn't famous for serving the Lord. It's funny, though, how Elvis Presley had a lot of hit songs, but his, what do you call it, platinum album or whatever, was gospel music because he learned to sing in church. And so his most profitable and most popular album was the gospel album that he produced. And the top song, y'all may remember this, was How Great Thou Art. Then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee, how great thou art. And he sang it like Elvis could only sing it. And that was his most well-known song. The biggest song of his career was a gospel song. And he would try to go to church when he was in the middle of his career, go sit in the balcony and wait till the preacher was done, Brother Hamill. And he would go slip into Brother Hamill's office and he would come in after the service was over and he'd sit with Elvis and he'd tell Elvis, Elvis, why don't you just give it up and come and sing and preach for Jesus. He said, just too many people depending on me for his career. He had all these people that were hangers-on, that were all part of his entourage that he paid to hang out with him and drive him and, and go in with him and so on. But, uh, you know, when you get to heaven, and I'm hoping that Elvis, and from what I read, he cried out to Jesus. You know, and I hope he's in heaven. But don't you know how disappointed Elvis must be if he is in heaven? That he did not have more reward? That he could lay the crown that Jesus would give him at his feet with lots of gems and jewels in it. Some people could be an, uh, a bush tribesman in the heart of Africa and become a, a Christian and a preacher and walk miles to preach and have more rewards than a famous individual because of what they did. I'll never forget that young man when I preached in Nairobi, uh, East Africa and Kenya in the convention center. And that first trip I made over there with Brother Gorman, I preached the first night because he had just come out of open heart surgery a few weeks before. And so I opened the whole convention, 7,000 pastors, and their wives. And the Lord used me to prophesy rain, and it rained all week. And my, I had a, a uh, session. They had workshops. And my session was about the prophetic 
and it was full every day. Anywhere from four to 600 young preachers jam-packed in my sessions, and I would see the same young man sitting on the front row for four straight days in my sessions. And uh, I finally asked him one day, I, I always saw him because he had on a lime green suit, and I asked him, I said, uh, Sir, I've noticed that you have been in my session every time. Don't you want to learn something else from one of the other ministers? And he looked at me and grabbed my hand. He said, I want everything that God has in you that I can have. He wanted the anointing of the prophets. And so he came to every session. I said, well, what's your name? And he told me. And, and I said, where do you come from? He said, I come from a village, and it was over, I think, three or 400 kilometers away. But he walked something like 200 or so kilometers to get to a bus stop so that he could ride the bus the rest of the way. How many kilometers in a mile? Three, four? How many? 2.2. That man walked over 100 miles. He started days before, and he never wore a different suit, yet he looked neat as a pin. He came, he gave it everything that he got, and he wanted everything that he could get. And it humbled me that he would come to every session to Kevin McEnulty, whosoever am I, you know. I never walked a hundred and something miles to get anything. I ran a few miles in cross country to run in competition, but I never walked 200 miles so that I could go to a convention where I might get something from God. You know what? That's called commitment. That's called purpose, potential, and focus. And he was focused. He was maturing, but, but you see, some people, what they do is they'll come and they'll be in church for a while and, and hey, lo and behold, I give words, Sister Virginia gives words, die different ones, Pastor Ken, Zach, whosoever, give a prophetic word. And some people think, well, I got that word, Pastor, I guess I'll be leaving in a week or two. I said, well, where are you going? Well, y'all gave me a word, so I'm gonna, I've, I've got to go fulfill it. Well, some are sent and others just went. And that's because they didn't have the hands really laid on them to send them. I had a guy serve with us for many years. We gave him words. He was very faithful. But then they just didn't show up anymore. And I called him one day and I asked him, I said, what is the deal? He said, well, you gave us a word that we were going to go out and teach the word. I said, well, we never sent you. He said, well, you, in a way, you prophesied over us and laid hands on us. I said, well, we never took an official time where we called you up front and we laid hands on you and sent you with the full backing of the church. You just went on your own. And you know what? As far as I can tell and as far as I know, they've not gone and done any teaching that I know of or made any ministry trips. They've made a few trips, but they haven't gone and done the ministry that I know God wanted them to do. And it's sad to me because people get it. They don't want to wait. They don't want to be patient to see God do something. And uh, so many do not mature. And the church is paralyzed because they lack maturity. But we see in number six, maturity is necessary to operate successfully and have a fruitful ministry. Let's look at Ephesians 4, 12 through 16, Pastor Ken. For the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That we should no longer be children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies 
according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Well, there it is. See, the church is supposed to equip people, and then it has to be wrapped around with love. Now, I'm going to tell you, a lot of people have gone their way, but I didn't send them. Most of them went on their own when they left. And as far as I know, I've never been mean to anybody. I've never refused to try to bless people if they came to me and said, we want a blessing, we feel like God wants to lead us in this direction or that direction. Uh, but a lot of them just go. And yet, you know, I think I've tried to give love and show love to people and not be mean or rude and to be perfectly honest, I am shocked a lot of times when people just disappear. And I can't imagine. And a lot of people ask me, where's so-and-so? Well, your guess is as good as mine. I tried to call them a few times. They wouldn't call me back or this, that, or the other. Or they want to do their own thing. And most of the time, their own thing's not very effective to be blunt about it. You know. I am educated to be an English teacher and a coach. I was not in the school of being prophetic preachers. All right? The Lord really has taught me a lot about the prophetic. Now, I've been able to teach about the prophetic to those that want to learn. Isn't it better when somebody's learned something the hard way and they can teach people so they don't have to learn as difficult a way as what the one who learned it the hard way. But I've got to be honest with you, a lot of people have missed it. They did not stay. Or they decide they don't like the way you, you looked at them or you didn't smile or you didn't speak the right way to them or, you know, you could have just been busy and walked by and didn't notice they were there. Well, it's, and i got to, tell you this about men men are pretty single focused if anybody misses it it'll be a man before the woman misses it that is the truth but when God has anointed somebody and you can learn from them and you can grow with them then my goodness why wouldn't you stay until they can lay their hands and send you I'll use Chris Martinez as a good illustration for that point. But go ahead and read Ephesians 2.10 first. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We are his workmanship. He's prepared these things for us. Well, Brother Chris was 19 years old when I hired him to be our youth pastor part-time in South Florida. Eliezer had become our music pastor again, and uh, Ken Soltis had gone on to doing outreach ministries, uh, traveling, doing concerts and things like that. And so I told Ellie, I said, why don't we hire Chris and we can let Danny work with him. Danny Torres, our children's pastor. And so they worked together quite a bit. Chris learned. Chris was a smart kid. He went to Florida International University, got a business degree. While he was doing that, he went to Trinity University and got a Bible degree. So he got two bachelors during the same time span. And then he was a youth pastor full-time with us. And he learned and grew and he would come to me and say, Pastor Kevin, I don't care. Uh, uh, whenever you're going to the mission field, I want to go with you. And if all you need me to do is carry your suitcase, I'll carry your suitcase. I just want to be there. I want to learn and grow with you. So he would do that. He would go and be a shadow to me and work the altars with me. And, and I'll never forget, I took him with me. I didn't have, uh, you know, you can have people that can translate and then you got people that can kind of translate, but they're very anointed. They're like this with you in spirit. 
I took him with me to lay hands on a woman in the ICU in a hospital in Guadalajara. She had been Pastor Paco's secretary. Well, she had had some kind of brain aneurysm or stroke. Or, anyway, she was in a coma, and they did not expect her to live very long. Well, Chris and I went in there, and I laid my hands on her arm, and I said, Sister Connie, can you hear me? This is Pastor Kevin. And as soon as I said my name, she kind of shook, and her eyelids fluttered, and she opened her eyelids. First time she had come out of the coma. And I said, I've got Chris with me, and we're going to pray for you. And he was kind of translating. He understood some Spanish because his father, Ralph, was from Cuba. His mama was an Irish lady like me. I'm an Irishman. But anyway, he translated and prayed along with me. And you know what? She got touched supernaturally. And she was sitting up in bed when we left. I went out to the lobby and told her family. There was like 10 family members. I said, she's sitting up in bed right now. Go see her. And so they went in to see her. And for the next two days, she went around to every bed in the ICU. And she would talk to people about Jesus. And she would lay hands on them. And everyone that was in the ICU of that hospital got healed. Got up, went home. She was the only one left. She laid down that night after everybody was gone, and she passed away. But she wasn't in a coma. She just laid down, went to sleep, and woke up in heaven. But what a story that is. It is amazing. But... Uh, I was a special person to her because of the thing I prophesied about their church, and it came true. She came to me after it happened, and they built a new building. She looked at me and says, I did not really believe in you. I didn't believe you were a real prophet. But she said, I know you are now because what you said happened, and it came to pass. And I'll always believe that you're a prophet of God from this day forward. And so when I went in that hospital and said my name, boom, it hit the spirit realm. But Chris was with me. Chris went up to Virginia, got two master's degrees at the same time, one in church history and one, I think, uh, just maybe a master's of divinity like Zach got. But he got two master's degrees and graduated and then... He told me, he said, I'd like to come out with you. And so he moved out here. He lived next door to us for some time. And then we got to this place where he told me one day, he said, Pastor Kevin, I feel this urge to go to Columbia, South Carolina. My wife and I have prayed about it. We feel like God wants us to go there and start a church. Now, when somebody tells you that, what do you expect they're going to do? leave in another month or so but he didn't he got with this organization that raises funds and so on but he uh i told him i said chris if you will stay i've already talked to a couple of school board members and they have said that they want to hire you from being a teacher to be an assistant principal in the high school i said if you'll stay you're going to get that job so I, he said, they went home, prayed, they came back to me, and he said, well, what we feel is we're going to give you two years. And I said, well, I'll tell you what, I'll let you go to Puxico and preach over there on Sunday morning. And uh, they did a good work there. I tried to maintain it on a Sunday night, and the guy on the building said he didn't want a church in there on Sunday night, he wanted one on Sunday morning. I said, well, I can't do that. And uh, I asked couple different ones if they wanted to go over on Sunday morning and uh, Chris Gonzalez didn't want to and another one didn't want to so I said well I'll come over on Sunday nights and finally he said well I don't want you here if you're not going to do a Sunday morning I said oh well, it's your building so we exited but Chris was faithful for two years there and then he came and when that school year was over I said if you're ready we'll lay hands on you take up an offering We'll have a church dinner, and we did. And they left, 
and they started the church, and it started out great guns, and they're doing okay, but the devil is always trying to slow things down. And so he had to have back surgery. He had a disc that messed up so bad in his low back, they went in to do surgery, and the surgeon accidentally nicked his spinal cord. And so he is in so much pain. They tried to go back in and fix it somehow, but it was just not fixable. And so this young man suffers in his body, but every Sunday he gets up and he fights through the pain and goes and shows up and ministers to his church in Columbia, South Carolina. And I'm proud of his efforts. You know, he's tenacious. Him and his wife, Emmerich. She's making straight A's. She's in nursing school. One day will be an RN, and she'll be able to make a good living. The kids are growing up in school now. And I think maybe Rachel, is she graduating this year? Or I saw it went to prom and all that. But anyhow, these kids have grown up. And, uh, you know, Emmerich's going to help kind of take a little of the financial pressure off. Maybe Chris won't have to work full-time in the school district. But you see, God provided a good job because he stayed two years as an assistant principal. The funny thing is, if he had stayed here longer, they'd have made him the principal. He'd have had even a better job in the school system. But, you know, he had served long enough that I did not question his choice. I would have liked for him to stay a little longer even, but that was his choice, and I honored it, and I blessed him to go. And so he is doing the work. But you see, that's the equipping and showing love is all about helping people to get where they're supposed to be. Number seven, God has an order, and he has priorities. That's why he showed us, me and Chris together, he was my spiritual son from 19 years old all the way up to now. And we're talking about, Lord, how old is he now? 40, maybe? He's been in my ministry with me for 20, 22 years, something like that. Really amazing. He has stuck it out and done his best. But God has an order. 1 Corinthians 12, 28 tells us that. And God has appointed these in the church. First apostles, second prophets, third teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, administrations, varieties of tongues. It's kind of neat because I'm a professional teacher by trade and I'm a prophet called at, I know, uh, when I was 18, I said, Lord, what am I supposed to be? And he said, open your Bible. And I opened my Bible to Jeremiah 1 where it says, he has called you as a prophet to the nations since you were in your mother's womb. So I took that word and I have prophesied in 20 countries plus to many different realms of society and all those countries uh, to leaders, presidential candidates, drug cartel members, you name it. And God has used me to speak a word to them. And so the prophetic, and then when I was called to return to Missouri, guess what? I came home, and we've seen many churches started, and some attempted to be started. Some didn't stay open, but those pastors ended up moving on to different ministries and so on. But we did our best to help get churches up off the ground. That's the apostle work. And, of course, we understand that out of Proverbs 24, 3 and 4, Pastor Ken. Through wisdom a house is built, and by understanding it is established. By knowledge the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches. So God uses the apostolic, the prophetic, and the teaching ministries to build a house, to build a church. Wisdom, understanding. And then the furnishings that are beautiful. And we have beautiful ministries today. Anyway, number eight, obedience of faith comes through salvation in Jesus. Romans 1 and 5. 
Through him we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name. Amen. We've got to be obedient to the faith. And then we see things happen, even to the nations. And I was talking to Kelly. His brother's a missionary in the Philippines now. He went on a mission trip, ended up going back and staying there, married to a young lady from Philippines. And, you know, Mickey Butler married Selena, and she was a mission. She was a, a young woman that worked for the government and went to Tino's church. And so he met his wife there at Tino's church. And they both were down in, they were all down in uh, Columbia just the last week ministering down there. So it's pretty awesome to see. Number nine, your leaders are to watch over your souls as they have to give an account to God. Hebrews 13, 17. Obey those who rule over you and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls as those who must give account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. And John 10, 27. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Well, guess what? God speaks through his servants and leaders so that you can hear from God too. Train you to hear from God. So it's important, you know, that you understand when we are helping you, we're not trying to stop you. We're not trying to slow you down. We're trying to keep you from making mistakes that maybe we've made or we've seen others make. We want to be a help to you in ministry. And then it says, Honorable elders work hard and receive honor. 1 Timothy 5 and 17. Let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. Well, and that's showing you that apostolic prophetic bent that we work hard to help develop people. And you know what? When you've got problems, you can call on the elders of the church. They can anoint you with oil. You can be healed. You know, many people get touched when they come up here and we anoint them with oil because it's biblical. It's God's way of doing things. And you're not to stop. You're to keep coming. Don't give up and just get prayed for one time. If you're not getting full satisfaction, keep doing it. Keep looking for God's touch no matter what. You're not going to be wrong if you keep coming. You, you just might get better and better. And it's possible. Everybody stand with me tonight. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you for these that are here tonight, the teaching that we've been able to accomplish. We ask you to minister to us and through us and make us effective to bring in the sheaves and have fruitful ministries that will delight you. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Hallelujah. God bless you. Thank you for coming. Try to stay cool.